What's good, everybody? I'm your host, Ryan McDaniel, and this is the Views from the 573 Podcast, the podcast that, yet again, discusses another James Harden trade. I believe this is trade number three with Harden that we are discussing. So, yeah, third time's a charm. Let's see if it'll be the trick for Harden and his new team in the Clippers. But we are going to be discussing that a little bit later on in the show, along with the initial CFP rankings that we got this week. A lot of intrigue around the these first batch of rankings and a lot of big games this upcoming weekend that, after talking about the CFP, we will then discuss and we will predict what will go down this weekend if there's going to be any big surprises. And then we'll go to the NFL and talk about the games that we have this upcoming weekend, including one in Germany for the first time ever that uh, is going to be a big one that me and Matt talked about on the pod Thursday. So don't want to miss that. But of course, we got to start off the top of this pod with the World Series and the Texas Rangers beating the Arizona Diamondbacks and winning their first ever World Series in Game 5, winning on the road, They've been road dogs all, all postseason long with an 11-0 road record. That is astounding to me. 11-0 on the road is hard to do. And just winning on the road, going undefeated on the road in the playoffs in any sport is tough to do. NFL, NBA, and in baseball. And they pulled it off going undefeated in Winning game five, five to zero, and knocking out the Diamondbacks at home. Couple really good pitching performances in this game. Zach Gallon, he's going to receive some Cy Young votes in the NL. And then Nathan Eovaldi, who the Rangers signed in the offseason, had another good game and pitched really well. As well, it was a pitcher's duel. And then something gave out, something's got to give. And Eventually, it was the Diamondbacks end up giving out. Gallon allowed a few hits, and then the Rangers started to get some runs in. Corey Seager, who was named the MVP of this World Series, his second one, I might add. And, of course, he won the other one with the Dodgers, and now here he is winning this one. And there's no Aroldis Garcia in this game. And he kind of got a little bit worried about that, but the Rangers – Stay calm, cool, and collected, and just did what they've done all postseason long on the road and just go out there and win. And that's what they did. So the Rangers win their first World Series ever and didn't think they would be the ones to win it this year. I, you know, I think there's a lot of other good choices. Rangers probably were not even the top 10 choices, probably, but kudos to them and the job they've done. And also kudos to the Diamondbacks. I talked a little bit about with Matt pre-show or post-show and, you know, I meant to give him his flowers during the show on Thursday, but he nailed down the Diamondbacks and how good they would be this year. And we talked about it a little bit uh, before, but Diamondbacks, they've been amazing this year. And I got to imagine they're going to take this performance and and look in the mirror and, you know, they got all that young talent that they have on this roster now. And they got a lot of young talent coming up too. Drew Jones, Jordan Lawler. They still got some guys coming up. So I don't think they are going to be done either by a long shot. But again, congratulations are in order for the Rangers. First World Series ever. 
And uh, congrats to them on winning it all and winning in five games, winning game five by a score of five to zero. Also, as far as viewership, was the least watched fall classic in TV history. It averaged 9.11 million viewers, a decline over 20% from last year. And you do wonder if it's because of, you know, these two teams, you know, not a whole lot of people cared. I had to wonder about that. Or maybe, you know, people just, they don't want to watch baseball. I mean, football's in full swing right now. But that, those were the viewership stats from this World Series, the least watched fall classic in TV history. But again, congratulations to the Rangers. Kudos to the Diamondbacks. I don't think they are going to be done being one of the better teams in this league for a while with the young talent that's on their roster, young talent they got coming up. So that will put a bow on to baseball season. Now let's talk a little bit about some NBA stuff, and let's talk about James Harden going to the Los Angeles Clippers. Of course, we kind of, me and Charles kind of referenced this a little bit in our NBA preview, talked about Harden a little bit, and talked about, you know, the Clippers really not kind of want to let him go of Terrence Mann. And we got our answer as to whether this deal was going to happen, and no, Terrence Mann isn't in this deal. But the Clippers did get James Harden from the 76ers. So the details as follows are, it's a three-team deal with the Thunder being added here as of late as the Clippers, of course, get James Harden, get P.J. Tucker, Ford, Philippe, Petrusive, and then they get a least favorable first-round pick swap with Oklahoma City or Denver in 2027 for the 76ers they get robert covington who's going back to philly after starting his career there nicholas batum marcus morris Kenyon martin jr 2026 first round pick the least favorable of okc the clippers and houston's they also get a 2028 unprotected first round pick from the clippers a 2024 second round pick from either indiana toronto cleveland or utah a 2029 second-round pick from the Clippers, and a 2029 first-round pick swap from the Clippers. And then Oklahoma City, they get a 2027 first-round pick swap via the Clippers. Uh, I don't know if that that last pick for the 76ers, if I said 2027, but it is 2029. So a lot of picks involved in that trade, a lot of moving parts, and that was the final tally for Harden's latest move to LA and he's reteaming with Westbrook again as he's now they're now back being teammates with after having of course the OKC stint having a stint in Houston and now here in LA and PJ Tucker now follows Harden again uh taking a look at this honestly I'm not sure how I feel about this if I'm the Clippers considering you know what Harden has done in his last couple stops and how it it feels like he's kind of quit on these teams that he's been traded to where initially there, there's a lot of joy, a lot of happiness of being on these teams and played really well early on. You take a look at what he did with Brooklyn and Philly, especially Philly early on really kind of had that pass first playmaker type of role that, could really help a team out, especially if a team 
that if you're a team that has Joel Embiid, that would really help. Can get Embiid his shots, can get him the ball where he wants it, and let him go to work. And that was the Harden that showed up in those in those stints in Brooklyn and Philly. But later that soured, and of course it led us to here at this point with him wanting out of Philly. And it seems like apparently that the whole being the playmaker deal was one initial reason why he wanted to get out of Philly. But I think with him going to the Clippers, he's going to need to embrace that role. And I think for him, Kawhi, and PG to succeed, he's going to need to embrace that and really kind of you know lower their usage of of being the ball handlers and bringing the ball up. And right now, early on, it's been a good sign where Kawhi and PG have gotten some of the best shots of their career early on because they've been set up by their teammates. And if Harden, I think, can bring that ability here early on, that can help. Now, if he doesn't later on, that can be a huge problem, and it might be because we've seen here in the, his last couple stints, it's kind of trended that way. But, I mean, of course, you know there's going to be some games for PG and Kawhi. They're going to sit out, whether it's, you know, load management or if they got nicked up the night before and they'll sit out. That could be a sign. And you can go tell Harden, hey, go do your thing. Go put up 30 or 40 that night and lead us to a victory. And the same thing with Westbrook. Just, you know, hey, it's y'all's teams tonight. Go out and do your thing. But I think the Clippers definitely will need that playmaker pass first James Harden to show up here really early on and really kind of stay that way if the Clippers do want a shot at the title. And if that Harden shows up and then drifts off a little bit later on, then it's really going to hurt them. And I do kind of feel like it, it will head that way considering what we've seen and how he is kind of sour on the teams that he's been traded to. Kind of like, yeah, I don't want to be here. And he ends up going where he wants to go. So, I mean, hey, give him credit for that. He ends up going where he wants to go. Not a lot of times does that work out. So if you're the Clippers, you're really going to need that playmaker that James Harden can be, has shown that he can be, to show up here for this team. And on the nights, again, where Kawhi and PG are out, tell them to go off and tell them, like, hey, go and be the Harden that was and the James Harden that was in Houston and just, you know, going off on teams, scoring 30, scoring 40 a night, maybe throwing a triple-double in there. And as far as other pieces in this trade, you get P.J. Tucker, where he can be a small ball five in which you can probably throw a lineup here of Harden, Terrence Mann, Kawhi, PG, and then PJ Tucker. And maybe if you need somebody bigger there for if somebody has a bigger center, maybe you get Zubak in there. But PJ Tucker would be the small ball five in this situation. And then as far as the other teams involved, well, I think we're on Philly right now, but Clippers, another thing, they did take on thirty million in this trade, so that can really uh, that can really hurt them as far as financial risk and them being 
you, you know, with this, how the salary cap now works in the NBA can really hurt them down the road. And then their draft capital. You look at what all they traded, and they recently, recently kind of come off of the Paul George trade of all the first-round picks they traded in that deal. They've gotten them back, and here they are, and they use them in this deal. So there's that little bit of risk there, too. Now, on the Philly side of things, Daryl Morey, he wanted some ammo, and guess what? He got it. He's got a couple first-round picks that he can play with. He's got three tradable first-round picks now in his arsenal. And also with the guys that he got in this trade, with Batum, Cummington, and Morris, he's got some expiring contracts that he can deal. Now, he's going to have to wait a while before he can deal them. But you can maybe combine a couple of them if there's somebody out there that's disgruntled and you got some expirings like, hey, we got a couple expirings, we got some first-round picks, and let's make this deal. That can be very feasible for a team in taking on some expirings, unloading on some salary cap in the following offseason and getting a couple first-round picks to play with whether it's actually using them in the in the in their drafts or trading them down the line. That could be really helpful for, helpful for a team if they got a disgruntled star. And so for Philly, now you're going to see the increased usage of Tyrese, Maxey, and for the moment, Covington, Morris, Batum, some solid pieces right there that can help them out on the wing as a backup for. And you got Kenyon Martin, as well, who's a nice young piece that they can add to their arsenal. So the Sixers, they wanted some ammo to potentially go out and make a deal for a star if, if the situation should arise, and they end up getting it. And then for the Thunder, you get another first-round pick. <laughs> you know, it seems like for the Thunder, it seems like they're always loading up on picks and – you take a look at this particular pick right here that they got from that they got uh from the Clippers. You take a look at when it's at, and it is in 2027, I believe we said. So only a few years away. But I mean, if you take a look at the Thunder at that point, by that time, SGA will be right in the thick of his prime at 28. You got Jalen Williams, who will be around 26 at that point. And you got Chet Holmgren and Josh Giddy who will be around 24 years old at that point. And so if, well, me and Charles talked about a few days ago is going to be true with OKC without their future set up. Then you know you can probably say like they'll be set up really nicely. They'll be one of the better teams by that point in the league. They'll have a lot of star talent with those guys. And that 2027 pick from the Clippers, who knows where the Clippers will be at that point? I imagine at this point, that at that point in a few years, I don't know if Kawhi and PG are going to be on that team, and I imagine the Clippers are going to be a team that's going to be in rebuilding mode. And a lot of it does depend on the pick swamps and the stipulations of that. And of course, the number of picks they already have. I mean, they could turn around and deal this one here, you know, at the trade deadline, if there's somebody available. So it might be a moot point, 
But it's another first-round pick that they can add to their arsenal and see what happens, see if they keep it, or see if there's somebody out there who's like, hey, we got a first-round pick. We'll, we'll trade it for this guy, and here you go. So good on the Thunder for getting involved in this three-team deal and getting another first-round pick involved in their draft capital. So that is the James Harden trade again. I don't know if it's going to work out. I really want to see how it plays out early on and then see how it plays out later on in the season. Because, again, we could see the same iteration that we have seen of James Harden when he's gone to Brooklyn and Philly where it's like, I'm happy to be here, does really well, and then later on just kind of sours. So we'll see here here what happens here with Harden to start off the season. And then when once we get to like February and March and see where we are, at that point. But yeah, that is the James Harden trade to the Los Angeles Clippers. Let's get on to the CFP rankings, the initial CFP rankings here leading up to week 10 of college football. And let's go from 25 to number one, start from the bottom. Uh, from 21 to 20, from 20 to 25, you got Air Force at 25, Tulane 24, Kansas State. 23, Oklahoma State, 22, and Kansas, 21. Then you got USC at 20, UCLA at 19, Utah, Tennessee, Oregon State going from 18, 17 to 16. And then from 15 to 11, you got Notre Dame, LSU, Louisville, Mizzou, Penn State. And then we got from 20, from 10 to 7, we got Ole Miss, Oklahoma, Alabama, Texas, and then our top six and the first two that are out are Oregon and a Washington. And then the top four is Florida state at four, Michigan at three, Georgia at two and Ohio state sitting atop the first rankings and looking at the, these initial rankings. First thoughts. Uh, we talked a little bit about it on Monday, kind of not surprised to see Ohio state here at number one. Wouldn't have been surprised to see Georgia at number one either. But Ohio State, you, you got to believe with them having the best resume as of right now with their wins right now over Notre Dame, who's playing pretty well, Penn State, and you got to strengthen the schedule that's ranked 15th in the country. They're the number one team, and they got some games coming up here. They got a 6-2 and two Rutgers team that they're playing this weekend that we'll be picking later on. Then, of course, they got the big one against Michigan at the end of the season. So a lot to still unfold for the Buckeyes as they sit number one. A couple other thoughts looking at it. It does seem, looking at it just from, based on what the committee and probably what they have, the committee's always weird. They, It seems like every year it's something different. Like maybe it's resume, who has the best resume, or maybe you want to throw in some recency bias, maybe, you know, take Georgia, for instance, and this year's rankings, you can definitely say that Michigan could have been over Georgia. If you look at how Michigan has played this year, they've played significantly better than Georgia, despite having the same strength of schedule. When you take a look at it, Georgia, the early part of their schedule has not been great. Now it's starting to ramp up a little bit, so we'll see how that goes. And Michigan, they got a couple big games coming up, too. They got Penn State coming up here and Ohio State, so their schedule is going to ramp up a little bit. 
So you could definitely make the case that maybe there's some recency bias in there. And then also eye tests. Who passed the eye tests? You know, it seems like it's something different with the committee every year. Or it it seems like it's with this year, if you take a look at a couple of these teams that are ranked, it's a a couple of these different things that we've talked about. You know, you talk about resume. Even though Ohio State hasn't played the best, they probably had the best resume. And then you take a look at somebody like Texas and Oklahoma. You take a look at them. It's kind of different because you take a look at seven, eight, nine, Texas, Alabama, Oklahoma, and probably the right rankings should be Oklahoma seven, Texas eight, Alabama nine, because you have Oklahoma who beats Texas head to head. You have Texas at eight who lost Oklahoma, but beat Bama head to head. And then you have Alabama at nine. Simple. But it seems like there's a couple different things that the committee is thinking about here with these rankings. And I don't know. It's always an argument every year about what the committee decides to do. And you got all these ADs from these different schools that are on the committee. And I I don't I'm not sure if that's, you know, it's not the best thing, I don't think, you know, because then you got all these different schools that are involved and might have to recuse themselves. You know, one thing that has been thought about, you know, with Michigan is the whole sign stealing thing that's been brought up here as of late. And if that would play a part here and we'll never get a clear answer on that. And whether it's now or, you know, a couple years later, I don't think we'll ever get an answer. But the committee is going a different a couple different ways here, I think, with all this stuff. And then also, you kind of take a look at these groupings. It's very straightforward. You take a look at the undefeated teams, okay, they're ranked, and then you have the one-loss teams, they're ranked, and then you have the two-loss teams, and they're ranked, and then you got your group of five teams and two-lane airports at 24 and 25. So it's very simple how it's laid out, but it seems like, you know, the committee just, like, let's take all the undefeated, rank them. Let's take the one-loss teams, rank them. Two-loss teams, rank them, and then we'll put the group of five teams at the bottom. While it's straightforward, it does seem kind of a little bit lazy right here. So a couple other things in taking a look at this. Um, Georgia, of course, here number two. Again, wonder if there's some recency bias here with their ranking, you know, being the two-time champs. And with the streak that they going that they're going on with their with how many games they've won over the last couple seasons, you do wonder if that's played a part. Georgia right now is going to have their toughest stretch, and it can still determine a whole lot. I was kind of, in preparing for this. I was kind of looking at the SEC East standings, and there's a st- there's still a whole lot that can go on because you look at all these games that are going on here. You got Mizzou and Georgia this week. And right now Mizzou is at number 12. And it kind of like a little bit of a prelude to that. But it, and it's a little bit different this year because last year you had Tennessee ranked number one heading into Georgia, who Tennessee was ranked above. And Georgia's probably not happy about that. So they want to go and prove a point. I do kind of feel like that this year that there's some that same mentality is going to be had in this Mizzou Georgia game 
despite it being a little bit different this year, that Georgia's going to be like, we feel like we should be number one, so we're going to go and beat the crap out of Mizzou to prove it. I do fear that's that might be what happens, but Mizzou's been a good ball team this year, and they gave Georgia a really tough test last year, even though that was at Mizzou. So they got that, and there's that game. And then next week, you got Georgia hosting Ole Miss. So for them, they got two of these games at home, so that can help them out a little bit. But next week, you also got Tennessee going on the road to Mizzou. And then the next week after that, you got Georgia going to Tennessee. And then they got Georgia Tech. And we talked about Georgia Tech. They've been solid this year, but they'll they'll beat them. So these next three weeks are going to determine a lot for Georgia and where they stand. Now, this could all this can be a moot point, and they can just run the table and – still being the top four and comfortably make the CFP that, that that can definitely be something that happens, but uh, they got a lot of tough games coming up here that can determine a lot, not just as far as CFP stuff is concerned, but the conference, who's going to make the SEC title game, who's going to win the East and its final year with divisions. Then you got Florida state at number four, they're eight and zero. And you got to imagine their win over LSU is still helping them with, uh, you know, you take a look at that loss now. LSU is playing some good football, especially on the offensive side of the ball, and they got a huge game against Bama that can determine a lot this week, I think, for both those teams. For LSU, going on the road and beating Bama, that, that can really help them. And, yes, there are two loss, but a win over a team that's ranked eighth can definitely boost them up and can see them ranked in the top 10 next week. And then you got their game against Florida as well. That's coming up. I think think they got A&M coming up as well. So they got a couple of games coming up that if they beat Bama, they can, they're going to be favored to win in those games. And then you would have a potential matchup against Georgia in the SEC championship. Uh, but right now LSU is playing, really good, and they have a chance to go on the road and beat Bama. And for Bama, hey, you want to be a, a one, of these other, one of these other SEC teams that gets in, get two SEC teams in, beat the crap out of LSU. I think that could really help. You know, that could help boost you up. And for Florida State, of course, they're still rolling, but yes, that win over LSU is still helping them. And, you know, you could definitely take a look at that as – like that's even though LSU is good, is that a better win than Washington's over Oregon? Considering what we just saw with Oregon this weekend at Utah, is that still a better win? Like, the committee didn't think so. So FSU is ranked number four, and then you take a look at number five and six with Washington and Oregon. Oregon is ready to pounce if any of these undefeateds fall, because we mentioned again a lot of these teams. Have tough games coming up. You got Ohio State and Michigan. One of those teams is going to lose to the other. Florida State, I imagine they would run the table. We'll have to see. Washington, it's going to be tough for them because you take a look at their November. At USC, Utah, at Oregon State, and Washington State. None of those are gimmies. That will be a tough schedule for them to try to stay undefeated in. And then you take a look at Oregon. Their schedule is honestly a little bit easier. They got Cal and USC both at home. 
Then they go on the road to Arizona State, and then they got Oregon State at home. So they got three of their next four, three of their last four games at home. And that can really help out Oregon, who just dismantled, again, Utah this past weekend, just completely dispatched them in uh, from the opening drive to the end of the game. And so Oregon right now, you got to believe, is in a good spot right now, sitting at six. Yes, does the one loss put them behind the eight ball a little bit? Yes, but they, again, I think we mentioned this, you know, what is a good loss? But if there's a good loss, Oregon, I think, has it after losing to Washington. And they are just ready to, you know, sit back, take care of their own business. They control their own destiny and see what happens. See if Georgia falls in one of these next three games they have against Mizzou, Ole Miss, or Tennessee. Does Ohio State end up losing at the end of the season to Michigan? Does Michigan, who has Penn State coming up, and then Ohio State, do they lose to one of those two teams? Washington, do they lose to one with the four games that they got in their November? Do they end up dropping one of them? They got a, There's a lot to see with these rankings in the next few weeks, but a lot of games that could determine whether some of these teams move up or down, I think Oregon would be the prime benefactor. I also look at Texas and Oklahoma. Like if Texas and Oklahoma take care of their business the rest of the season and with how the Big 12 is set, set up this year, no divisions, it's going to be the top two teams. They're going to face each other. And I think whoever, if both these teams run the table and they meet in the Big 12 championship game, I think whoever wins that one, can set themselves up pretty nicely. They'll probably need some help from everybody else with how the, everybody else's schedules is set up. But I think whoever, if they run the table, if Texas takes care of Kansas State and Oklahoma takes care of Oklahoma State and then the, the rest of the schedules onward and they, fa- and they face each other in the Big 12 title game, I think that can really set themselves up nicely to find a way into the CFP. But again, they would need some help. Oregon, I think, would get first dibs unless they end up losing one of these games, in which I don't think they should. I think they'll probably be favored in all their games the rest of the way. Uh, Cal, USC, Arizona State, Oregon State, I think they'll probably be favored in all those games. So those are the first CFP rankings. And, yeah, interesting First rankings, interesting first batch with how the committee has kind of handled things in a couple different ways here with the first batch here. But these are the initial rankings with Ohio State sitting up at the top. And they got a game at Rutgers, who is six and two, by the way, which I didn't realize until I put the game on the schedule. But they will have their reign start at number one this week if they can maintain their number one ranking. On to next week. Now, after talking about the CFP, let's talk about the games that we have coming up this weekend. And there are going to be some fun ones on Saturday. And looking at some of the matchups here, a matchup that can determine the Big 12 race, a couple games that can determine the SEC race. Actually, looking at three kind of, looking at Ole Miss and AM, and also one. You know, with the Pac-12, USC not completely out of it. They still have one loss in conference, despite being seven and two. So that Washington USC matchup 
is a big time matchup in the in the Pac-12. And then also we got a little bit, I think, of a throwback to the old views days in which we would put we would definitely put this game on our picks of the week uh, back years ago. We would definitely put this game on here. So it's a, a, an additional game, a bonus game that we are going to pick. And again, it's a, it's a views classic, I feel like. But let's get started looking at a Big Ten matchup with Ohio State, number one in the CFP rankings, heading to Rutgers, who's six and two, surprisingly, and is three and two in the Big Ten. Shiano's got this team six and two, four games over 500, heading to a bowl for sure. And you look at this matchup, of course. One of the things you're going to be worried about is Ohio State, you know, being number one. I feel like this should be an easy win, but you do have to consider they had a little bit of a shaky performance against Wisconsin, even though it was a really good win as far as the running game, their defense. Uh, McCord did throw a couple picks in that game, so you hope that that version of him doesn't show up on the road this week. But I think this one, should be an easy win for Ohio State. I think, you know, they are getting healthier. They are getting a lot of their pieces back with Henderson coming back last week. They're favored by around 18, 18 and a half. So I'm going with the Buckeyes here to go to Rutgers, get a good win, get to 9-0, and get to 6-0 in the Big Ten. But, hey, if Rutgers could maybe stay in it for a little bit. Good for them. You know, 6-2, not a bad job. Bashiano up there with that program. So give me the buck, guys. Now let's talk about this Big 12 matchup between Kansas State going to Austin, Texas, and taking on the Longhorns. Before, you know, you look up at, and, you know, Kansas State is like, okay, they lost a lot of pieces. They're not looking all that great. And before you know it, I mean, you look at the line for this game, it's around three, three and a half in favor of Texas, I think that goes to show you how well Kleiman has got this Kansas State program looking right now. You look up, and here they are playing some really good football at 6-2. and two. They're 4-1 in the Big 12. So this one has major implications on if Kansas State has a potential title defense a little bit later on this season. And if Texas can get back to a Big 12 title game. A lot of implications about with this one here in Austin. Quinn Ewers is not going to play in this one. He will be back, I think, this season from what all I've read. But it does look like it's going to be Malik Murphy that's going to get the start. And last week, you had a couple of young quarterback mistakes, but you also had a couple really good throws in that game as well. You can see the potential in that offense. Uh, Jonathan Brooks, again, He's been awesome this year, and it's very eerily similar production from what he's doing to what Bijan is doing. And it's just like this offensive line is clicking on all cylinders. A.D. Mitchell, worthy. you got to be worried about them if you're Kansas State. But one thing you, you can take advantage of with a young quarterback that can make young quarterback mistakes is turn over the ball, and Kansas State can definitely take advantage of that. And that's the one reason why they've been able to do so good here as of late. And also, I've I heard this stat about the the red zone defense and offense for Kansas State. They're really good in both. They're really good at punching in the ball 
when they have it in the red zone and on defense, they're really good at stopping teams and forcing them to make field goals. And that could be a really good recipe for Kansas State heading into a road environment, a hostile road environment, in which field goals aren't going to get you wins in this one. Touchdowns will. And so maybe you can turn over the ball a couple times with Murphy, get a short field, get into that red zone pretty quickly and punch it in. And so Kansas State, they got a couple good advantages there with that red zone offense and defense. They also might be playing two quarterbacks. Of course, you got Will Howard, and then you got Avery Johnson, their second-string quarterback, who offers a lot more in the running game, can be a potential another hat for the defense to keep an eye on. And also, Kansas State, we talked about them playing their best football. Look at their last two games against TCU and Houston. They've destroyed them both. It's like a Biden score of like 82-3. to these last two games. So Kansas State is playing some really good football as of right now. And, oh boy, this is going to be a tough one. And, you know, the line, again, is tricky. It's three and a half in favor of Texas. And so that's, you know, taking consideration of home field advantage. I think, you know, shoot, I'll go and take the Wildcats here. I'll take Kansas State. And I think their title defense is officially on and that they will be in good position the rest of the way. So give me the Wildcats here to go to Austin, Texas and get the win. I think that red zone defense stat, I think that and the red zone offense, if they can score touchdowns and can hold Texas to a couple field goals in a couple of those situations while still allowing a couple touchdowns, I still think they get the victory. So give me the Wildcats. Next up, we got Texas A&M heading to Ole Miss. And Lane's made a couple, Lane Kiffin's made a couple of funny comments about this one, about, you know, Texas A&M's roster and them fighting to get the bowl eligibility. Yeah, <laughs> always leaves the Lane Kiffin to make those types of remarks. This one's an early kickoff. Kind of a shame that it is. It's going to be 11 o'clock, one of the early window games. Kind of hate that because, you know, Oxford is going to be ready for this one. Ole Miss ranked 10th in the CFP rankings. They're still not out of it in this SEC race. I mean, there's not by a long shot. A lot can still happen here. And I think Ole Miss does win this game, gets to 8-1, 5-1 in the conference. And Jackson Dart has been playing really well. And we talked about early on the season about the run game lacking for Ole Miss, it's really starting to pick up. Judkins and Bentley, they've really become an awesome duo in that Ole Miss backfield where teams are just having trouble stopping them. And Judkins right now, he's picked it up. He's nearly at 1,000 yards this season, and he was struggling to start off. And He's got seven touchdowns and, uh, well, no, 691 yards. I was looking at Brooks' stats, but... He's got 691 yards, nine touchdowns on the season. And Bentley, the transfer, has been an amazing addition in that backfield. And Dart, again, has been playing some good football, 14 touchdowns to four picks. Ole Miss is only favored by three here. I do wonder if the AM front seven is going to stop this run game. Uh, we saw what happened in Knoxville when they tried to face that run game. Couldn't stop it. And so we'll see if they can stop this one. But give me the Rebels to get to 8-1 this week and take down the Aggies. Next one up, we got Notre Dame at Clemson. And 
I don't know who who's going to end up being more right this week, either Dabo or, or Tyler from Spartanburg, if you've heard of all that mess going on with him and Dabo. Uh, oh, boy. <laughs> oh, that that's uh, that's really funny. Um, Clemson, 4-4 four and four this year, have completely fell off the face of the earth. And Notre Dame playing some really good football right now. They destroyed Pitt last week. They're 7-2. They're three-point favorites on the road. Hartman's played well. Estimi has played well. He's at 901 yards and 12 touchdowns on the season. And the defense is playing really solid. And, you know, Clemson, I mean, you thought Garrett Riley is going to change his offense up. And so far, like, there's been not a whole lot of changes for this Clemson team. Uh, just has really looked off this year. And you got to wonder what the uh, issue is long-term after this season. Uh, because, you know, look at this season. I think it's kind of lost here at 4-4. Four and four. And I think with this one, they're going to be – after this one, they're going to be 4-5 and five with Notre Dame being them at home. But, you know, if Clemson does somehow win this one, I won't be surprised because I would feel like the type of thing where they would win this one. But I'm going to – Take Notre Dame here to get the win. Next one up, Mizzou heading to Georgia. And talked a little bit about this. Uh, gave a little bit of a preview with Matt as to kind of my mindset with this game during the pod yesterday. And I'm going to reiterate it again. It feels exactly kind of like what happened with Tennessee and Georgia last year, although slightly different circumstances. Georgia feeling like they should be ranked number one. Probably going to be a little bit ticked off here. And so who's the team coming in? Mizzou, a team that is saying like, oh, they can maybe challenge them in the East. Like, And Georgia's going to look at that. It's like, okay, and just go out and beat the crap out of them. Uh, I do think Georgia, one thing to keep an eye on, and again, it's kind of like a similarity to last year with how Tennessee's offense ran. Mizzou's got some playmakers out wide. Luther Burton, Mookie Cooper, and Theo Weiss, have been amazing for Mizzou this year. Brady Cook has been a really good distributor of the football, really efficient. Cody Schrader, awesome running back for Mizzou. The defense is going to need to step up because right now Georgia is looking a little bit more like a passing attack. they got to be able to tackle DeJon Edwards in space, make sure he doesn't get any big plays. And then you got Dominic Lovett, former Mizzou guy, playing against his old team. You wonder how he's going to do. And I think Carson Beck, I mean, he's been playing some really good football as well. And he's thrown for over 300 yards here in four of his last five games, I believe, is the stat. And he's been playing good football. And I think Georgia, I think they are definitely going to win here. But I think that defense is going to need to be on its heels that secondary with Kamari Lasseter, Tyke Smith, uh, Malachi Starks, they are going to be in, they are going to need to be on their A game with these Mizzou wide receivers. But I do think Georgia gets the win. So give me the Bulldogs. And also, you had the game last year. Mizzou almost pulled the upset last year. I, I'm sure Georgia remembers that as well. I think they want to leave no doubt in this one. So give me the Bulldogs. Next one up, we've got Bedlam and Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. The final game between these two programs for the foreseeable future. 
Should be a fun one. Oklahoma has won seven of the last eight. But Oklahoma State, I think, has a shot in this one. Thinking about a couple things, you look at how well how OU guarded the run last week against Kansas. Kansas ran the ball on them pretty well. And you look at Oklahoma State, that got the nation's leading rusher in Ollie Gordon. And you got to give credit to Mike Gundy and how he's kind of changed around this program and you know sees different needs and is like, okay, we got a guy that can run the ball really well. Well, let's go and do that. He's the leading rusher in the country. And get this, first Oklahoma State running back to lead, to run for 250 yards or more back-to-back games since Barry Sanders. You know, you know it's really rarefied air when you're, you and Barry Sanders are the only two in that category. So Oklahoma's run defense is suspect, and we talked about it here recently that they've kind of gone back to their 2022 form, and they can't be doing that. So Oklahoma State is trending up in this one. But also, you got to throw in the fact it's a rivalry game. There's a lot of vitriol in this game and add to the fact that OU is leaving and is really kind of leaving Oklahoma state for dead. You got to add that fact in there. So Oklahoma state, I think is ready and is amped up for this game. That environment's going to be crazy and they're going to take in all those factors. Plus Oklahoma, Oklahoma just came off a loss. So, you know, they are smelling blood right now. And, like, let's send our rivals out with a great parting gift, and that is beating them at home. And so rivalry games, we talk, you know, anything can happen in rivalry games. And despite Oklahoma winning seven of the last eight, you can definitely see Oklahoma State winning this one. I will take Oklahoma, though, in a nail-biter and say they get the last laugh here. But that environment is going to be crazy good in uh, in Boone, Oklahoma. I believe that's where, or Stillwater, Oklahoma, where Oklahoma State is. It's going to be a crazy environment. There's going to be a, not to make a Taylor reference, but there's going to be a lot of bad blood here in this game. So give me the Sooners, but not by a whole lot. Uh, Curious about what the line is going to what the line is for this game. Uh and let me check in. OU is favored by six in this game. So kind of it kind of like a we'll have to see what Oklahoma we get in this week. You know, kind of like one of those teams. Which one are we going to get? The one that we've seen here recently, the last couple of weeks, or the one we saw against Texas in the first few weeks of the season. So the next game that we got is Penn State at Maryland. And looking at this game, I do see this one being a close one. James Franklin, the ultimate variable in these games, I think, and with Penn State and how they operate on offense, not a whole lot of big plays. I think they're going to lean on that running game of Allen and Singleton for this one, and it's going to be up to Maryland to try to stop this running attack. And Talia Tungvaloa has actually had a pretty good season for Maryland. 19 touchdowns to six picks. Penn State is favored by eight in this game. 
with the over and under right around 50, right around that mark. So I wonder how Penn State's going to do in a possible trap game this week against Maryland. Their salt team, even though they did just lose to Northwestern here last week and losing to Illinois the week before, they've kind of fallen off after losing to Ohio State a few weeks ago to start off October. I am going to take Penn State here, but I do think it's going to be a close one. Uh, I feel like I, I could say that with every Penn State game uh, here against you know a, an opponent that does have some sort of challenge, that does fa- have some sort of challenge in front of Penn State. But I'm going to take the Nittany Lions here to go and get a Big Ten road win against Maryland, so I'll take them. Washington at USC. This one, high scoring. A lot of points are going to be had in this one. Uh, looking at the over-under for this one, 76 and a half. You heard that right. It's nearly 80 points. And you know what? Might take the over on that one. I feel like that could be a pretty easy take right there. Washington is favored by three points. But Washington has also not played here really well since that Oregon win. Last couple games, they've struggled. A couple weeks ago, Arizona State needed to pick six to win it. Last week against Stanford, needed a late goof by Stanford on a fourth down, in which it should the pass should have been completed. But they survived that, go down and score, and win the game and get to A no. So honestly, if there's a reason why they're not in the top four, it's, I think, because of these last two weeks. But they've not played here really well. As of late, they've needed some help from the opposition. And USC, we've talked about them a whole lot as well. You know, with their offensive line struggles and getting the running game involved. And, you know, Caleb is being asked to do a whole lot with this team. And he already has like 12 fumbles compared to six last year. And so he's kind of turned over the ball a little bit, but I think, you know, he's holding on to the ball a long time. His receivers may not be running the right routes or they just may be covered too well. So he's holding on to the ball a little bit too long. But I do think with this game, don't expect any defense. Washington has been missing Jalen McMillan as of late. So you wonder if he does play, uh, what kind of impact will he have with Odunzi and Polk? That's a group of wide receivers that Washington has that's really good as well. But I think this game, expectations are high-scoring game, no defense, but whoever gets the big defensive stop will, I think, win the game for this team. And we talked about USC. Again, they only have one Pac-12 loss. They got a lot of games in front of them right now. And, you know, let me go and try and pull up their schedule, but we talked about Washington. This is the start of a rough November form. And taking a look at USC, the games they have in front of them, they got this one, then they got or- at Oregon, and then they got a home game against UCLA. So they had two of these games at home. The The Oregon game is going to be tough, but they do have a shot here if they gain some momentum back to go and make a run for the Pac-12 title. So everything is still out in front of them. It's just that will they be able to do it considering these last few weeks 
haven't necessarily been easy games, losing to Notre Dame at Notre Dame pretty badly. Utah, that game, only a one-point win over, over Cal last week and could have lost that one. So everything's out in front of them. I do think I will take Washington in this game. They are road favorites. But I think, again, that over-under, I think this is going to be a crazy high-scoring game. But watch it be like a, a defensive struggle because isn't that how the way these things usually work? A defensive struggle usually ends up in being a team, a really high-scoring game. And then what you expect to be an sh- offensive shootout turns up to be a, a game where defense wins the day. But I have Washington winning this one and taking down the Trojans, getting the 9-0 and and really increasing the the level of their resume here. Getting a road win at USC, that could really be a big resume builder, particularly if one of those teams ahead of them, whether it's Florida State, Michigan, Georgia, or Ohio State, if one of them fall, that can really help Washington there. So next up, we got... An LSU team that's 6-2, and two, one of the better offenses in the country, heading to Alabama, taking on the Crimson Tide, who is the only team in the SEC that's still undefeated in conference play at 5-0. and oh. Big one here for both these teams. LSU is still not out of it, and if they get the win here, they're really not out of it. They're also the first team looking to beat Bama and back-to-back seasons since the Hugh Freeze Ole Miss teams in 2014 and 2015. So they're looking to add their name to history here here this week. And let me tell you, for this game, they are going to need every bit of Jaden Daniels that they can get. If they don't, they are not going to win this game. Jaden Daniels needs to be a Heisman candidate with how well he's played this year. Whether it's him throwing or running, he's been outstanding. You take a look at his stats and how well he's done this year. And let me pull him up. Thrown for 2,500 yards over that, 25 touchdowns to three picks. And as far as his rushing stats, I kind of want to see what his rushing stats are. He's rushed the ball really well, too. He's a threat to take off at any moment in time. And in a couple games this year, as far as rushing, he, he has gone over for 100 once, but he's also scored the ball. All, he's scored on the ground, too, with you know five touchdowns as well. So you take a look at that. He's scored 30 touchdowns compared to three interceptions this year. So he needs to have a great game against Alabama. And for Alabama... I don't know if this version of Alabama can get in a shootout with LSU. I just don't. LSU is the number one scoring offense. I think Bama, if they want to win this game, they are going to need to slow it down, run the ball, play good defense, and keep it away from the LSU offense. Let them sit on the sidelines a little bit. And looking at LSU's defense, it's kind of like you know the same thing with Lincoln Riley and his teams at Oklahoma and. USC and how Tennessee kind of was last year. Defense isn't all that great for LSU. 
They don't get a whole lot of sacks, even with Harold Perkins, who I think is going to have a major impact for this game for LSU. If he can get some hurries in Milrow's face, can get a couple sacks, that can be big for LSU. But again, I think the X factor is Jane Daniels. He's going to he's got Malik Neighbors, Brian Thomas on the outside. He's got a couple guys that Alabama's got to be worried about. But I'll tell you what, I, I don't know. I after seeing what I know it's completely different, but seeing what Bama did a couple weeks ago to UT and just coming out of the second half, firing on all cylinders. They've had a bye week on after that. So they've gotten a little bit more healthy. They've rested up. You know, I think they're going to be ready to go. They're favored by three at home. Home home field advantage right there. But I think this will be a fun version of the LSU-Alabama game, and I will take Alabama. It is tough going against Bama. Like, Ryan, you did that a couple weeks ago. Yes, I know I did. Maybe that's irrational confidence. But, hey, at least I can admit the mistake there. So I'm going with Bama here to win this one. And then looking at UCLA at Arizona. Sneaky, solid Pac-12 matchup with Arizona. How well they played this year. They're sitting at 5-3. and three. Really good team. UCLA is only favored by 2.5 here on the road. So they're road favorites. But they played a lot better with Garbers at quarterback. Let's play really smart football. Not turn over the ball like Dante Moore has. But Arizona, man, they've been they've been sneaky good this year. They gave USC that scare at USC a few weeks back. And Fafita, the young quarterback, has Played solid. 11 touchdowns to three picks. Played pretty good. Arizona, I think, has something here. But I do think that UCLA defense is is good. It is legit. And how well it's played. And I've seen, I forget the guy's name, but I've seen him rise up on NFL draft player rankings. I've seen them rise up on the draft boards. And so... I think I'm going to take the tro- the Bruins in here. And this is Arizona's fifth straight game against a ranked opponent, too. So they are getting tested here. And so I think they'll give UCLA a bit of a test here. But I'm going with the Bruins here to win, not turn over the ball, and have that defense step up when they need to. And then finally... What I have in here as the game of the week, because again, it is a views from the 573 throwback to the to the Cape days. It is Northwestern and Iowa. <laughs> we talked about in the group chat and, uh, you know, we talked about the over and under how historic it was. And everyone's like, yeah, let's go. Yeah, do it. You go and pick this game. And so, by default, we are picking this game. And what a sharp contrast to USC and Washington. Right now, the over-under is sitting around 30 and a half. And this game is going to be at Wrigley Field. So, up in Chicago land. 
Iowa is sitting at six and two, three and two in the Big Ten West, and Northwestern four and four, two and three in the Big Ten West. I'll tell you what, the the Big Ten West, man, <laughs> uh, it's still chaotic, and there's a lot of chaos to be hap- to happen right now as uh, as we head on to November. But yeah, it's going to be uh, it, it's going to be a low scoring game, thirty and a half. Um, I really don't. I would say definitely take the under on this one and play it safe. And I think I will take Iowa. I did think, I think I remember, and Peter said it too, that they fired their offensive coordinator. So maybe there's a little bit something here. So I will go with the Hawkeyes here winning this one. They are five point favorites. So give me the road team of this one. But man, this one is going to be ugly. <laughs> this one's going to be ugly, but I will take Iowa to win this one at Wrigley Field. And that is the college football game. That's the college football games we are picking here in week 10. Should be a fun slate. Getting a lot of matchups that can determine a lot going forward in the Big 12, the SEC, and Pac 12 races. Also, a couple games in the ACC that can determine a lot of things. So, going to be a really fun week here in week 10 and we'll see what happens see if we get a couple of surprises here like we did last week but yeah it should be a fun week now let's head to week nine of the nfl season and we had our thursday night game last night with the titans and steelers i went with the steelers in this one titans had not won in pittsburgh here as of late so i felt pretty comfortable with the steelers here Kenny Pickett led them on a 92-yard drive in the fourth quarter, the only point scored in the fourth, only touchdown scored in the second half at all. And the Steelers get the win 20-16. Jalen Warren looks and continues to do really well. Deontay Johnson had his first touchdown in over 600 days. I think it was like 669 days. So congratulations to him on getting on the scoreboard there. Uh, really doesn't do anything for me as far as my fantasy team with him on my bench, but he gets his first touchdown in a long time. And, you know, Titans had an opportunity late to go down and score interception by Levis there at the goal line. And they fall to three and five, oh, and four on the road this year. Steelers five and three. And honestly, this game, I think, you know, it's kind of like what I want to see, like see some positives from Levis. And also, I mean, if it comes in loss, I'm not going to complain because I think, yeah, kind of talked about with Matt, you know, on the pod yesterday, you know, for long-term health, I'm kind of conflicted about things here. And I don't know if necessarily Rabel is the guy long-term with Levis. I, I just don't know. So we'll have to see. Uh, the one thing that did happen last night that I want to get to is Traylon Burks is, of course, that scary injury last night had to be carted off. It does sound like right now, as far as an injury update, there are some good signs is that, of course, he had to be stabilized on the field and had to be carted off and look like he was going to go to the hospital. Well, according to from everybody after the game he did not need to and from ESPN's Teron Davenport he's walking to the team bus on his own so 
really happy to see that, happy to see that he's okay because that was a scary injury. And, you know, just thinking about him and that, that was, you know, it's, it didn't seem like anything big happened there, but sometimes it doesn't have to be. And I'm just glad that he's okay, that he's up and moving now and that he was able to walk to the team bus on his own. So good signs from him. Moving on to the other games this week. We got an early one on Sunday, and we talked about it yesterday. Dolphins, Chiefs, big one. First game ever at Germany. And this is a big one for the Dolphins because Dolphins, they're 0-2 against, the team, against teams with winning records. And this is a huge litmus test for them. And for the Chiefs, they really need to bounce back after what happened in Denver this past Sunday. They definitely need to pick me up for this one. So this is going to be an explosive matchup. Tyreek facing it off against his old team. And uh, he's already talking a little bit of stuff here, saying like, hey, you know, I'm about to give him that work. But Chiefs, Dolphins, I imagine I want to see the over under for this one. See how insane it is. And it's around 50 and a half. I think that is definitely the highest over under for this week. Yeah, it barely it barely gets by Bills and Bengals. Who's at 49 and a half around there? And then Cowboys Eagles are around 46, 46 and a half. But this game takes the cake as far as that's concerned. Chiefs are a small favorite, one and a half. We talked about how well Tua has played this year. Can definitely be in that MVP kind of race with how well he's played this year. And then Tyreek, we talked about it. If he does get to 2,000 yards, he definitely can make a case to be in that conversation. I don't know if he'll get it, but he can be in that conversation. But... Big one here for both these teams. Dolphins do get touchdowns. They they lead the NFL in percentage of drives ending a touchdown. But man, it's hard to it is hard to pick against the Chiefs here. And even though Taylor might not be in the stands for this one, I think I'm I think I'm going to take the Chiefs here to win this one just narrowly. I do think it's going to be a a fun, exciting game for the fans over there in Germany. They're going to get to see these NFL teams play. What a treat. Your first game in Germany, it's this one, two, a game between two winning teams that are vying to be at the top of the AFC. So give me the Chiefs here to win this one. Vikings at Falcons. Don't know who if it's going to be Jaron Hall or Josh Dobbs that's going to be starting for the Vikings here. So we'll have to see. I do imagine it'll probably be Hall, considering they just got Dobbs this week. So it'll probably be Hall this week, the fifth round rookie out of BYU. So let's see what he's got, and let's see what he's got on the road against a Falcons team that got the win last week on the road. And I think I put the wrong record for the Falcons. They're four and four. And Falcons, both these teams sitting with the same record. We talked a little bit about the Vikings on the pod. And they're in a precarious situation as well. 
with everything going on with them with the Kirk Cousins injury. And for the Falcons, you may have found a little bit of something with Heineke coming in that second half last week. So I imagine you're going to see him be the starter in this one. And I think they will see that second half at Nashville and they'll take that into this week and get the win here. And they are playing against a rookie quarterback and got to feel comfortable about that. And they are favorites on the road or favorites at home around three and a half or around that mark. So give me the Falcons here to win this one. And I'm going to make a bold prediction. I don't think Bijan has a rushing touchdown this, this season so far. I think he has one receiving. I think Bijan gets his first rushing touchdown this week. I think he gets it and he can add that to this season. So give me the Falcons here to win this one. Next up, Commanders at Patriots. Not really a fun one here, but the Commanders trading their two edge rushers away. I want you wonder how the Patriots are going to game plan for this one. Mac Jones has probably got to be feeling a little bit, bit relieved here that he's not going to have to worry about. Montez Sweat and Chase Young line up and lining up on the other side. And the Patriots are favored here at home. And they've actually played better as of late. And take a look at some of their games, you know. Besides that obvious one against the you know Cowboys and the Saints, they've been competitive here. 21 to 17 to the Raiders. So it's a loss, but you know, it's competitive. They beat the Bills 29-25, lost to Miami at Miami by 14 points. But they've been competitive. And I think I like them in this game, despite how well Sam Howe he he played last week. I think the Patriots they're gonna win this one. I think you know. Despite losing Kendrick Bourne, and probably going to find the need to get another wide receiver involved in this passing offense. I think Patriots will win this one. Again, I think they're really excited that they're not going to have to worry about Montez Sweat and Chase Young in this game. So give me the Patriots here to win this one, get the three and six. Next one up, Seahawks at Ravens. We talked a little bit about this one, and this one can be a good test for the Ravens' defense and how they guard the Seahawks' offense, who has got three guys at wide receiver that are really solid and Lockett, Smith, the Jigba, and Metcalf. Solid run game with Walker. And then you also got Charbonnet behind him, Geno at quarterback. So we're going to find out, I think, like we talked about, how real this, if the Ravens defense, if, if there's going to be some things to show up with that are that you need to be concerned about, or if they are going to be just fine. We talked a little bit about Zay Flowers. Maybe they let, let him say, hey, go, go run a go route and let's go long and let's see what you can do. And for the Seahawks, going to be a tough road test. They ju- did just get Leonard Williams. So excited to see how that addition can pay dividends right away. Uh, again, we talked about with the Ravens when they played the Lions. If they can play like that and, or maybe play as close as they can to that, 
they're going to be hard to beat. And right now, Ravens, they are favored by six in this game. That, that, and that's, I don't know, it feels like it's kind of telling their six-point favorites there. And Seattle hasn't necessarily blown teams out of the water here. They had that loss in Cincinnati a few weeks ago, 17-13. to 13. Only won 20-10 over Arizona a couple weeks back and scraped by Cleveland 24-20 at home last week. I think I'm going to give this one to the Ravens. I think I'll give it to Baltimore and say they get the win here. But this one, really excited about this one. Battle of five and two teams that it does look like I think this could be a game where defense defenses are going to show up here. Even though I'm looking at the over-under, it is, what is it? It's 44 and a half. So I think their defenses will show up here. Seahawks defense has been really solid here. I think the Ravens defense, again, this is a test for them. But we'll find out, really, when they play the Bengals here in not too long. So give me the Ravens here. And I will take them to win this one. I don't know if it's going to be by six or if it right where the line is. But I will take the Ravens here. Next one up, we got the Buccaneers going against the Texans. CJ Stroud coming off a loss to Bryce Young. And Stroud did not play well last week. If you take a look at what he did last week, and let's go pull it up. I and mean, he's still playing pretty reasonably well for a rookie quarterback. Still only has the one interception. But take a look at how well he or how he was last week. Last week, he was 16 of 24, 140 yards. Completion percentage was not, it was tied his highest with the Jacksonville game a, a few weeks ago. Uh, at the see as far as like his season, if that's his highest. So, no, that's tied with his highest. Didn't throw a touchdown, didn't throw a pick, took a couple sacks, and didn't rush for a touchdown. But, you know, offense just wasn't good last week. And but face a lot of pressure from that Panthers defense. Buccaneers, I think, are, are gonna try to look into that and say, let's hey, let's go get after the young QB. They get a little bit of extra rest after having a Thursday night game. So maybe that can help out the Buccaneers. I do I do like what D'Amico Ryans and Stroud have been doing here early on in their partnership with the Texans. I think I'll take the Texans here. I think it will. I think Stroud plays a little bit better this week. And it, it does look like it's a, a pick him type of game. It's like, you know, it's a crapshoot. So I will take the Texans here to win this one at home. And Stroud, I think, does play a little bit better this week. Colts at Panthers. Speaking of the Panthers, got another home game against the Colts. Of course, Panthers getting their first win last week of the season. Bryce Young getting his first win in the NFL. Last week, he was 9 of 11 for season high, 143 yards and a touchdown when Houston blitzed him last week. And he was 2 for 2 for 24 yards on the game-winning drive. And he's been really good against the blitz in week 8. 
had the third most yards per attempt, 13, after ranking really low in, the, in his first five games. And as much as we like Gardner Minshew, he, he, do, he has turned it over here a lot. And we saw the running game for the Colts last week set up pretty evenly between Moss and Jonathan Taylor. I still feel like JT is about is going to see his shares increase a little bit more. And uh, I'm kind of looking at this injury report. Josh Downs has been listed as questionable now. Got put on the injury report here a couple days ago. So you have to wonder if that's anything to take in consideration, if Minshew's not going to have one of his weapons. So you know what? I think... I think I'm going to go with the Panthers here. I think even though they are home underdogs, I think I'll take the Panthers. I think they'll they'll get the win here. I think Bryce Young will is starting to find himself here, and I will take the Panthers here to win. Next one up, we got some good ones here uh, on it, in the late afternoon window with this one and on Sunday night. Cowboys at Eagles. Cowboys, I think, they need this one more than the Eagles. I think for sure. Because right now, you're looking at the rest of the NFC. 49ers are kind of falling here at 5-3, and three, and they're on a bye this week. Make up some ground. You'll have to see what happens with Seattle and Baltimore, even though it won't matter, you know, whoever is at the top of the NFC the West will automatically get seated ahead of them, but it's still something to keep an eye on. So Cowboys, I do think need this one. Philly is favored by three and Chandler Hurts has had some injury, has had some turnover problems this season. The run game with DeAndre Swift has been good. AJ Brown has been amazing this year. He had an amazing catch last week. But as far as it, who needs this one more, Cowboys definitely need this one more. And Dak needs to be on his A game. And CD definitely needs to be on his A game against these Eagles corners. I do think it's going to be tough to take go against Philly at home, though. I find it tough to go against them. But this one, I don't think it's going to be like the Niners game. I think it's going to be extremely close. It's an NFC East matchup against with division rivals. It's going to be incredibly close. The over-under is around 46 or around there. So give me the Eagles here, but in a close one. This one's not going to be a blowout, I don't think. And watch it be a blowout. <laughs> so... Next one up, Sunday Sunday night football, Bills at Bengals. We've we, we talked a little bit about the Bills and Bengals yesterday and how the Bengals, it seems, are rising at the right time. Kind of did the same thing last year. It seems that way again. And the Bills talked about it, had a couple key injuries here on their defense. And they did get Rasul Douglas to kind of help out in that secondary. And they did just place Kair Elam on the IR. So that's yet another injury for them. I think the Bengals, again, I think they're about to go on a little bit of run here, and this would be a 
this would be a big win on Sunday Night Football on primetime. I feel good about taking the Bengals here after what we've seen out of the Bills here recently. So give me the Bill, uh, the Bengals. Give me them, Joe Burrow. I think he's going to be playing extremely well here down the stretch. So give me the Bengals, and this would put the Bengals at 5-3 and three, and the Bills at 5-4. and four. And that AFC North becomes a lot more precarious. I mean, you... Bengals, they go to five and three. Steelers five and three. Are the I don't think the Browns are playing this week or they're playing the Cardinals. So I don't think necessarily that one's a gimme. The Cardinals have been competitive. We might see Kyler Murray here pretty soon. I don't know if it's going to be this week, but sounds like it'll be soon. And so you take a look at it, and of course the Ravens on top. That division. Looking really tough right now. And if the Bengals start to get hot, that can make things interesting with the Steelers somehow getting to five and three. If the Browns get Deshaun Watson back and they're sitting at five and three and the Ravens with how they're playing, things are going to get fun to watch with that division. That's the case. And then finally, the Monday night game, the Chargers at Jets. Talk a little bit about these two as well. Mainly the Chargers with Brandon Staley and the Jets. The Jets have played solid, and Zach Wilson again has not lost them games, and that's been that's a key reason as to why they're sitting at four and three. It's going to be a tough game, I think, for the Chargers for their offense going against this defense, in which the defense has won the Charger the Jets games as well. The defense, the running game. And Zach Wilson, playing safe football, has really put the Jets to where they are now at 4-3. and three, And they're 2-2 at home, but they are home underdogs in this one. And despite how tough I think the defense will be for the Chargers, I do feel a little bit more safe picking the Chargers. Maybe it is because it's Zach Wilson, even though he hasn't, really done a whole lot wrong here. Played solid football, hasn't lost some games. I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to pick the Chargers here in this one to win on Monday night. And that would put both these teams at four and four and can really get the Chargers, get some momentum back their way. After us talking about Brandon Staley and like, if things don't go well, could his name be potentially on the hot seat? But I think, they get the win there. They get the four and four, and they kind of get some momentum back on their side uh, after a couple weeks ago, in which, you know, that Chiefs loss, that stung for them. And winning two in a row after that can really help them out. And so give me the Chargers here to go on the road, get the win. And that is the NFL Week Nine picks right there. And that is where we're going to leave this week off, everybody. Thank you all so much for tuning in to this edition of the show. Greatly appreciate it, as always, for taking some time out of your day, hanging out with us as we talk about everything going on in the world of sports. And it's going to be ramping up here as we get deeper into November with college football, with the season getting closer to an end. And we talked about it a little bit yesterday. And, you know, it seems to go by quickly each and every year. 
more so this year. It, it'll probably be the same way next year. But uh, it's always a fun time. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Be sure, if you haven't, go check us out wherever you guys get your pods. Check out the YouTube channel. If you want the video version of the pod I did with Matt, that's on YouTube at 573 Podcast. Be sure to go like, subscribe, share with your friends, all that good YouTube stuff. And check us out on socials with the podcast account, 573 Pods, and my own personal account, Ryan Use 573. But that is all I have for you on this edition of the show, and that's all I have for you this week. Have a good weekend, everybody. Be safe. Enjoy all the football this week. And we'll talk to you all Monday.